Welcome back to So This Is 30 Podcast. I'm your host, Annika Sarah, and today joining me on the podcast is a content master. She may have influence, but she's truly an artist, the one and only Tina Lee, or as her audience knows her best, of leather and lace. Hi, Tina. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on, and I have been following you for a while. We've met before, and I know that, you know, a lot of people know who you are, but for those of them who don't, could you just introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, so I'm a travel and lifestyle content creator, mostly based in New York, but uh, normally I'm traveling a lot around the world. Yeah, I mean, your photos around the world are amazing. They're so beautiful. Thank you you so much. You're welcome. So what is your background? Were you always doing Instagram? Were you always in the space of technology? Or were you doing Mm. something different before that? Yeah, so before I started this, I went to design school at Parsons in New York for two years, and um, it was for fashion design. And then I worked as a lingerie designer for two years before I decided to quit my job and pursue this full time. And so I started blogging like when I was still a designer. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that you went to Parsons. I went to LIM. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, I went for a two-year fashion design program. That's amazing. I hear they have an amazing program. So when you came out, were you expecting to really stick with being a fashion designer? Is that your path you wanted to do? Yeah, definitely. Actually, when I first discovered fashion design, I just told myself, I was like, this is it. This is my passion. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And so then I got a job as a designer and I was so happy. But um, even then, after a while, because you were designing for other people and um, it was also mass market. So there was very little actual design involved. It was more like working in front of a computer, drawing and doing some tech practical stuff. So I still felt like I needed another creative outlet. And that's partially why I started the blog. And then it just really interestingly evolved. The more I got involved with the blog, the more it felt like a real passion project. Mm -hmm. And I got into photography because my now husband refused to learn. Like He absolutely hates it. So (laughs) I decided to learn it myself. And over some time, it also became like a huge passion of mine. Does he help you take your pictures um, at all? Yeah, he does sometimes. Um, Mostly it's giving him very specific instructions and taking a sample photo and telling him exactly how to do it and doing all the settings in advance for him. So yeah, he does help me. Well, that's really click good. the button. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's I know exactly what you're talking about because my husband. It yeah. was really hard to get him into it at first. He was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in yeah. public taking pictures like this. And finally, he came on board. So I feel like you had to ease them into it just a little by little. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And what was like the moment that you knew that Instagram was actually going to be your career path? I feel like in the beginning, I sort of, when I quit my job, I wasn't ready for this whole social media uh, career. I just thought that there was some growth and I wanted to try it out. And I I didn't even have any income then. And it was probably up till a year and a half ago where 
I really felt like it, there was some momentum and then there were more brand deals and that I could actually keep going and get somewhere. That's amazing. So I was, yeah. I mean, your niche is so different. I feel like you were probably one of the first people within your niche to really start doing that. Like it's very travel-esque. It has a little bit of like a fantasy aspect to it, I would say. So right. how did you kind of conceptualize that? Because it's so unique. I think you actually described it perfectly. I really do like to bring some fantasy element or at least creativity element to the images. So it's not just the pure traveling itself. Mm-hmm. I think because I, as a traveler, am more into the visual aspect of travels. So I go for either the view or their hotel or certain buildings, the architecture really interests me. And so I focus a lot on that and the luxury aspect of it. And um, I think it's just naturally my aesthetic. Perhaps it's the slightly Asian aesthetic. It's always a little bit slightly over the top, I think. I mean, it really does like bring the whole photo together, though, because from the background to your pose, even down to what you're wearing, it's very meticulous and it looks very planned out. So how do you even start with that? Like, do you see a location and you're like, okay, this is where I'm going to start from. And then you start from that way with the location or do you start with an outfit? How does your thought process go? Yeah, usually it starts with the location. So I save a lot of locations around the world um, in my saved folders. And then from there, I visually think about like what would make the most sense here. Mm-hmm. So some places would be great with gowns, but then others would make you look really silly. So then from there, you also look at the overall color of everything and also plan out like what time of the day you would plan to go for the best lighting. And then you sort of begin to visualize the end result. And that's sort of how I decide what to wear. And sometimes I bring props if it's not just enough to be in a nice dress or something Mm -hmm. to add even more interest to the image. And I noticed that you do pick a color scheme. So is that something you've always done or is that something you've integrated throughout the years? Uh, No, I didn't do it in the very beginning. I think I started maybe like a year or 10 months ago or something. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I just thought, oh, when people come to my page, the first thing they see is my feed. So most likely if they decide if they want to follow me or not, maybe the feed would affect their decision a lot. I am not sure if that is 100% true, but from then I just started doing an obsessive color feed and now it's more just of like a interest slash obsession that I like to keep up. Yeah, I feel like it's become part of your brand, which is, I mean, that's amazing in itself. But I I think you're correct. I think that when someone sees a beautiful photo, they go to your page and they want to see more beautiful photos, just like the one they just saw. So that probably does have something to do with someone hitting follow rather not doing that. So I think that's part of it. 100%. Possibly. Yeah. And how far in advance do you really create your content or think of, okay, I'm going to go to Iceland and make this content? How did that start? Yeah, usually in terms of planning the food, I plan it about one to two weeks in advance, meaning like I would have all the images edited for at least a week's worth because without knowing what the colors will be for the next few days, I can't shoot the next set of content because I, if I can't just have like a completely red 
scene and then go out somewhere and shoot something that's blue Mm -hmm. I would have nowhere to put it and it would sometimes it takes like half a year for a photo to even get to my feet which sounds so ridiculous but um it's when you when it when I really want it to blend well it's hard to fit every color in and so in that sense I sort of think about a destination look at all the images from that place and then I decide okay a month from now I'm going to be there so a month from now it's going to be let's say Iceland was kind of like white with a lot of snow and blue so then I plan that in advance and so starting from a month before my travels I start blending the color of my feed so that it would get to that color when I'm actually physically there. Wow. That's a that's a lot of planning. I think that a lot of people don't realize how much planning actually goes in to creating a very aesthetic feed. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, I don't even know if it's necessary per se. Like I wouldn't say like a aesthetic feed really <laughs> adds so much value to your audience, but it definitely could become like a value add, like a and also something that people know you for. Yeah, definitely. And since you have so much content, you're not struggling right now to really put content out because you already have it built up. Because I know a lot of us are home right now; we're not able to go outside, yeah. we can't travel. So do you already have a folder full of content that you can produce? Yeah, so actually I could probably post for one or two months every single day and I still have images, but it just doesn't feel completely appropriate, I guess, sometimes. So I still plan to post some of them, but in between I also want to create more relevant content or at-home content that other people can also attempt while sprinkling in some of the... (laughs) remaining travel photos that I never got to post. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been kind of a whirlwind, I feel like, for everybody. So I feel like it's awesome that you're able to really produce some authentic content that's at home and able to relate to everybody else at this time. Yeah, I think it's just important to be sensitive to how other people feel during this time. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, Especially when nobody can travel. And because travel is such a privilege that we get to do I mean all people whoever can travel it's I really think it's a privilege and at this time it's just it's kind of a tricky thing to juggle right now it is and I want to get back to the travel in a second because I have a couple questions on that for you but yeah looking at your content I'm wondering are you a solo act or do you have a team in place that helps you I don't have a set team, um, but I do have several uh, photographer friends or just friends in various cities. Um, In New York, I have a little group of friends and we're all content creators, so we just help each other. And because we know each other pretty well, it's really easy to work together. And in Taiwan, I do have also other friends, in particular a group of photographer, makeup artist, friends who I flew to my wedding. And we all work together really well. And if I were to travel in Asia, I would probably bring them with me as a photographer. And then also some similar situation in Paris. But oftentimes, though, I do have to um, do it myself. Right. Yeah. I see that you always put up things where you're using a tripod if there's no one around. Do you find it easier to have set photographers rather than, you know, going to a city and not knowing the photographer and having someone come with you for a one-off? Yeah, I've definitely done all of those. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Done it myself with a tripod or met up with someone once and had great results. And also just working with the same people, to be honest, is always, I think, the easiest way. But because it's not always possible, 
then you do have to branch out. So, for example, I went to Stockholm in February and I met two local photographers. I also met two followers um, who helped me take some photos and they were all so lovely and nice and helpful. And it ended up being a great experience just meeting people who are living there. So sometimes, you know, being out of your comfort zone and not having your normal friends to help you is actually a great thing because you develop new connections. Yeah. I mean, how lovely is that that two of your followers were able to really connect with you? Yeah, it was very nice of them to take the time out of their day. Yeah, yeah, that had to be an awesome experience, even for you as someone who's going there and just really feeling like, wow, I have this audience that's all the way here in Stockholm, and they're able to meet me and spend time with me yeah. and do this. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. Also, you get to chat with them about their local culture and stuff. So it's very interesting. Yeah, I'm sure that's the best way really to learn about local cultures actually being with the locals, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so you are constantly traveling around the world and creating content. What location has the most meaning to you? I think because our wedding was in Italy and Tuscany, that probably is the most meaningful place. Yeah. Is that it's your just favorite? so many amazing memories. Yeah. Is that would you say it's your favorite place altogether? Probably. Oh, that's a really hard one. There's <laughs> so many beautiful places in the world. I mean, I also loved Bali. You know, because a lot of how you feel about a place is also the experience of it and who you went with and also how the weather was like. Mm-hmm. So if it was always amazing sunsets and beautiful weather, then naturally you're gonna like it a lot more than if it rained for a week straight and wasn't able to get any content. So I'd say probably Italy and Bali. Yeah, they were great trips. It was amazing. Bali looks amazing. I've been trying to get my husband to go for a while now. We were going to go, but everything had happened. And I was looking at your content, actually. And I was Mm. saving things because, I mean, you found the most beautiful locations. How did you even find some of those places? You had that one hotel. It was stunning with the pool in the background the sunset coming down ah, I yeah how do you come across these places so I first of all I go and find feature pages from okay. that place and for Bali there are so many mm-hmm. you know like vacation in Bali the Bali Bible um, Bali guideline there's probably over 30 of probably more than that Um, And so those are really helpful because they always share the most popular places and sometimes they share hidden spots, like spots that people don't know about. And also you can go in and see which photos get the most engagement. So you get an idea of what people react to the most. How smart. And you can plan your itinerary around that. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of how I found a lot of the locations specifically for Bali. But I also follow a lot of local Bali content creators and they are more like the pioneers. So the feature pages sort of post what's most popular but a lot of the people who live there go and find new hotels or new eco villas or bamboo villas to stay in and help advertise and that's a great way to find hidden gems that's a great tip for everybody to know so if they're traveling they should really be looking on the feature pages for these locations yeah absolutely now let's get into your wedding a little bit so you planned two destination weddings how was Mm, it even planning one destination wedding let alone two yeah um luckily the second one that was in taiwan my parents lived there Mm -hmm. so they were able to help me with most of the planning in terms of location and even finding the people for the decor 
what I did was mostly just jump in and tell them what decor I wanted and then sort of approved the designs. For the Italy one, it's funny because we only planned it about six months in advance. Wow. And That's yeah, a tight I, timeline. <laughs> I know. I am a procrastinator. It's just really bad. So six months before, we still didn't have a location. I hadn't really started looking. So my husband was like, okay, you have to book something in a month or we're not going to have a wedding. <laughs> so, so that night we went on to, we went on the internet and we found a few options in Italy and I narrowed it down to 10 and I emailed all of them. Within, I think, two days, I decided I was going to go with this the cheapest one that we found that was also really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think it was just the cheapest because it wasn't as publicized. It didn't really have a nice website. It didn't have social media. And so I actually offered them to um, help them with some advertising and some social media exposure and get a slight discount. <laughs> Well, that's great. I mean, um, you were providing them a service as well, so. Yeah, and and so that turned out well. And within a week, we had put in a deposit. Oh, wow. So that was really quick. And I have to say, my husband and I were going to have our wedding in Tuscany as well. And we ended up not doing it, which is probably our greatest regret. So what actually made you guys choose Italy as your destination? Is it just somewhere you always want to see yourself getting married? Or does it hold a special meeting for you and your husband? So we haven't actually been to Italy together before that. It was more just my personal attachment to Italy. Mm -hmm. I really love Italy. I think it's so beautiful. And just the rolling hills of Tuscany and the fact that there's a lot of vineyards around there. It sounded like a very romantic concept, but it was also economically a pretty reasonable one so Mm -hmm. that's sort of why so more practical reasons (laughs) we were thinking also about maybe spain or something but i just think italy was slightly more accessible for our friends all over the world yeah and how many people did you actually have at the wedding was it a large wedding or was it small and intimate it was small, um, about 50, 55 people, I think. Oh, wow. So that, you, that definitely helped make it easier. Yeah, I'm sure. And how was it making that guest list? Was it hard to really cut down? Not that difficult, I think, because my family are all overseas and mm-hmm. a lot of my good friends are also overseas. So naturally, a lot of people already couldn't come. And, you know, even my friends in New York had to fly to Italy. So that sort of was a natural elimination process. Um, so it kind of just worked out naturally, actually. Well, that's good. So you guys weren't sitting there with like pen paper, like, okay, well, we can't invite this one or that one or her or him. Yeah, it was kind of like, not really. Okay. Well, that, that takes a lot of stress out of it, I'm sure. I think the biggest thing that helped us with the whole planning while never being there was our wedding planner. She was fabulous. Um, their website is called Infinity Weddings Italy. Perfect. We'll put that and in the show notes too. Yeah, they were just so helpful and very reasonably priced to um, just sort of guided us along the way, told us what kind of time frame when we have to decide, let's say, the flower color or the candle color. And we would FaceTime and she would show me the exact candles that they plan to use. And then they did a mock-up PDF presentation with exactly how they plan to make the ceremony. And me being like a very visual person and having worked in design, I have very specific visuals to show them as well. Mm -hmm. And I knew exactly what color I wanted. So I made them 
um, a little presentation first and I showed them these are what I want. And they came back with a complete mock-up and it's just amazing how close the end result looked to the digital mock-up that they made for me. So they were really a godsend. Yeah, I mean, your wedding was absolutely stunning. It looked very elaborate with the roses and the candles and the car and your dresses. I mean, it was beautiful. You had everything picked out very, very well. Thank you. Uh, How did you really start to conceptualize that? Did you have free reign over it? Or did your future hubby say, I want this, I would like to see that? How did that kind of work for you? Yeah, I was really lucky that he he really has no opinion when it comes to (laughs) aesthetic things. (laughs) So I get to have free reign over it all. And um, I sort of just went by what I sort of have always liked the most, which is red. Um, And I felt like burgundy, like a darker red, looked more sophisticated and luxurious and also not, not often done. Right. So no, I, I thought that was that. a great choice. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen that combo before. I saw your wedding. Mm. So it was a very unique choice and it looked perfect. It looked like perfection. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I just really wanted to do like a deep and rich theme. And mm-hmm. so then we also decided like all the hardware would be silver and we would have a vintage burgundy car with flowers flowing out of it. And because it was also the time of the year where the leaves on the castle start turning red. Mm-hmm. So it also, it just kind of all tied in together. Yeah. And I feel like we kind of have to paint a picture a little bit of your wedding for the audience because I feel like they're kind of listening to this right now. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. there was a car, there was a castle. So can you paint a little bit of a picture how you would have to your um, wedding planner to them? Yeah. So the castle was actually a fortress built on the 1100. And um, it's not a huge castle, but visually in terms of photos, it sort of all fit in the right places. And it's what a castle should look like. And it had ivory climbing on its walls that was turning slightly red. And we had a vintage burgundy car pull in and the forest did a cascading flower coming out of the car. Mm -hmm. So instead of um, paying money for a photo booth, we just put that money to renting the car and doing the flowers. And everyone has an iPhone, (laughs) everyone has a camera. So they just took a lot of photos there. And um, the castle came with a beautiful Italian garden that had lemon trees and that's where we made it our um, walking down the aisle and instead of using any carpet they just lined the aisle with red flower petals roses and the chairs were lined along the two sides and at the very end of the garden is the burgundy arch it's like a fabric um, with flowers around it Um, And it overlooks a really beautiful view with mountains. And and we got a really lucky day with the weather, too. So Yeah, it looks like your sunset was perfect as well. So it was. You guys had a beautiful day. And you have photos of your wedding in your bubble up, correct? Mm -hmm. So we'll add that to the show notes so everybody can really see this in person because you guys have to check it out. It's really beautiful. Now, did your wedding planner help you with finding the car or was that you all you like figuring that you wanted to have this car with the cascading flowers on it as your photo booth right so I came up with the idea after seeing the flower I think at uh revolve and I was like oh my god this would be really cool so I told her about the concept but 
then also asked her to keep it um, still consistent with the theme. Mm -hmm. And she actually found um, by chance this car. Just it was just the perfect choice. And she was really excited. She called me one day. She was like, Tina, I need to talk with you right now. Look at this car. And we hopped on FaceTime right away. And uh, it was just the perfect option. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Italy has the most beautiful vintage cars already. But that one really was perfect. I matched your theme. So that's really awesome. And you created the most amazing content during your wedding. Did you find it hard to do that? Or did Mm. it just come natural? Because I mean, I feel like my wedding day, there were so many things going on. And I was just like, okay, I'm here, I'm there, I'm doing this, I'm saying hi to this person and that person. I couldn't even imagine putting on top of that, creating the content that you created. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, That's a very good question. Well, I think a lot of the people who came, they already knew how much I cared about getting the content. Mm. Um, And so in a way, they were all very understanding. I do think I during the cocktail hour I spent a little bit less time you know going around and talking to everybody and tried to get the photos in because it also happened to be sunset and it was like the last remaining light that we could get but I did manage to go around and chat with people after the dinner so you know if you plan it really well and down to let's say every 15 minutes and you do have helpful friends and a really helpful planner it's absolutely possible to do all of what you want um, and still keep your guests happy. Well, that's good. That And you were still able to really take in the moment and enjoy the day. Yeah, absolutely. Because we started shooting really early in the morning. Mm -hmm. So then actually, um, around midday, we were all kind of free and just (laughs) sitting around and chatting and touching up on makeup. So it was very, it was actually a very stress-free day. I wasn't stressed at all. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Because I hear some brides when they're creating content on their wedding day, they find it super stressful. So I'm glad to hear Mm. that you did not have that experience whatsoever. Well, we actually had um, several meetings before the day itself. Mm -hmm. So I would sit all the photographers and makeup artists down um, and anybody else who is helping. And we would go through the entire day by every 15 minutes what they would do so that we wouldn't miss anything. And then I also had a shot list and like a PowerPoint presentation telling everybody like this is the kind of images. And so that in the moment, I wouldn't have to check their camera every time they take a photo. I would just trust them. And these are all like friends that I've worked with. So I know they know what I'm thinking and talking about right they know your style they understand what you are going for they get your content creation so that is probably the most ideal situation to be in yeah absolutely yeah and for your wedding that you had in taiwan you made a video so how did that how did that work with your wedding day was that a lot or was that the same thing it wasn't too stressful yeah so the taiwan wedding funnily enough i didn't plan the Taiwan wedding but it was more stressful than the italy wedding and i think it's just because of the different ways weddings are done Mm -hmm. in the western world and the asian culture um in Asian culture, it's more about gathering everyone together and um, sort of having that big dinner mm-hmm. and also taking photos uh, with every single guest at the end of the dinner and going around to tables and um, <laughs> drinking with people. Mm-hmm. 
So there was a very different emphasis and that made it really difficult for us to squeeze out time to create the video. So what we did was the next morning, the photographer, the videographer, he came at 8 a.m. and we redid, redid a few scenes in the hotel room and like running through the hotel. That was all done the morning after. So the only sacrifice we made was we didn't go out that night and um, the next morning we had to wake up early. But I do think it was worth it. Well, I mean, I think it was worth it too because the video is really cool so well done it was really awesome and the big question is how was your husband how did he feel about creating content on his wedding day yeah um I think for the Taiwan one, he got really tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was just really not into it. But um, overall, I think if if I try to space out how much time he has to be involved, and I also try to minimize the amount of time he has to be in front of the camera, mm-hmm. and that always helps. It puts him in a better mood, and I just make sure he's fed and he's slept enough. <laughs> that he's always much more agreeable. Yes. Eating and sleep is very important. I feel like a lot of people have to know that if your spouse is hungry or tired, it probably yeah. is the worst situation to be in to get them to create content. Yeah, absolutely. Or hot, too hot or too cold. Very true. Never works. No, it does not at all. So those yeah. are little tips for everybody out there. Yes. Now, you had to get all of these photos back. And did it feel overwhelming? Did you edit them yourself? Or how did that go about? Yeah. Yeah. So we would actually transfer the photos the day of. Okay. Um, so I can just edit whenever I wanted. And me being like obsessive over my content, I just looked at it right away. And I started editing right away. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like having that control over my content. It just um, means that I can better coordinate it to fit my feed. And I know when I can post it and so on. So that was very helpful. Yeah, I agree. I like having that control as well. Do you have a favorite editing app or software that you use? Yes, I always use Lightroom Classic CC on desktop. Oh, perfect. And I have a little lightning round for you. So let me know if you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we go. The States or Europe? Europe. Rome or Paris? Ooh, Rome. Instagram or YouTube? Instagram. Android or iOS? iOS. DSL or iPhone? Uh, DSL. Tripod or Photog? Tripod. Editing app or editing software? Editing software. Travel content or content at home? Ooh, travel content. (laughs) I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. That was a great round. You didn't like wince at all. Uh, My last question for you is where do you see yourself or where would you like to see yourself in five years? Mm. Um, To be honest, I'm not sure if social media would be exactly what I would be doing in five years. It's such a fast-changing landscape. And um, given that we are trying to also start a family, it could eventually evolve um, into a more all-encompassing kind of lifestyle uh, content page. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know that I would like to continue creating content no matter what form and what role I play. That sounds amazing. And I hope you get all of that. So will you tell everybody where they can can find you. Yes. So um, you can find me on Instagram mostly at of leather and lace and my website is of leather and lace.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tina, for coming on the podcast today. And all of, of you guys can find this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow us along on Instagram on So This Is 30 Podcast. Until next time, guys. Bye.